All right, good morning. Hey, I want to encourage you, as Brandon mentioned, about uh, baptism. You can mark that on the response card. But uh, I know for in this last year, we've uh, a number of you have uh, committed your life to, to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And baptism is, is the way that we get to declare this to the world. You get to uh, express what God's doing on the inside. Uh, it, it, it captures the great uh, victory in your life, the washing away of your sin as you came into faith in Christ, but it also kind of captures, the, in essence, the testimony of your life, who you are now. Your old life has died and been buried. You've risen to live a new life of following Christ as not just the Savior of your life, but the Lord of your life. And this is so important because this really has kind of captured what our summer is about uh, as we've been looking at what it means to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We're riding the wave of his wisdom. We're, we're looking at the wisdom of of, of uh, his life and, and, and for our life. And as we're thinking about trusting the Lord in all the different areas of our life, as we trust uh, the Lord with all our heart, we find that in each area of our life that he speaks into it and we're required to, to, to trust him in, in whatever unique way. And today we're going to talk about work. And we've seen the unique way as we go through the book of Proverbs. Uh, what we're learning is how important it is to integrate our faith into all things. And so we don't want to segregate our life away and say we have our spiritual life and then I have my social life, my work life, my whatever, and have all these little pieces of pie that make it up. But in, in really what we're discovering is we're called to trust in the Lord with all our heart, that it, our whole life falls under this sense of, of him being the leader. And cer- certainly when it comes to work, we'll, we'll see this. Now, uh, this... When we talk about work, it's important that you understand that we're talking about everything from your job to, uh, I know a number of you are students, and that's kind of your work. It's your job. It's your thing you're giving yourself to. Uh, others of you work at home. You are, are building a home and a family and all these. We can take it a lot of uh, different ways. Some of you are, and I love to, I, I've heard this term now for the last couple of years. It's, I think it's a, a really wise word, but uh, you, you don't, people are no longer here in this church saying they're retired. They're saying I'm repurposed. Their, their, their job may be over that they worked in for all these years, but they're saying, I don't stop being or doing. There's just, I, I, I'm giving myself now to something new and I'm looking for God's leadership in this. So whatever it is that you do, uh, however that fits in that, that's how I want you to think about what we're going to talk about today as we think about work. Now it's interesting, uh, if you think about the ancient world, You'll see all the time that sons followed in their father's footsteps. And I think it's, it, to me, it's, it's somewhat interesting. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter, as Joseph was. Uh, uh, we see uh, sons who were fishermen or whatever it was, the family trade. Uh, I sent my, my oldest son uh, back to college uh, yesterday. I was a youth pastor for 20 years, and he's in his third year studying to be a youth pastor. So I don't know if I did something right or wrong. I'm not sure. But he's following in dad's footsteps in that, that regard. My younger son, it's interesting. He is also falling in dad's footsteps. Uh, I, one of my very first jobs, uh, I was the mascot for Simple Green. Do you know Simple Green? The, I was Egg Bar. Okay. So I would, I would go to trade shows and things and pass out free samples and all kinds of stuff. And, and so my son is following in my footsteps as well. You might have encountered him recently. Here's, here's a picture of my son in his first job. My wife and I are so proud of him. (laughs) Uh, 
But it's been interesting as he takes on, he has, he has his first job other than being a, so he has a, the job of being a student, but now he has a first job. We've been having all kinds of conversations about work ethic and character at work and all these different things. Uh, and it's been fascinating. I hope in some ways we can kind of uh, have some of those conversations ourselves. Now, work is a very important topic because it consumes so much of our life, doesn't it? And, and there are times where our work just completely energizes us. We love it. We, we, I, I can remember as a college student at Biola University, uh, there would be, like this week, students are going back to school. I'd go in the bookstore, I'd buy my books, and I'd be like, I cannot wait to read these books. I was so energized by that season of my life to prepare for what it was that God was uh, calling me towards. Uh, my first job here at the church when I started as a youth pastor, I don't tell anybody this, but I would have worked for free. I loved my job. I worked long, hour, uh, long hours. Uh, it never felt like work. I never felt like I went to a day of work ever in all those years. Uh, I, I was talking to someone uh, just recently on our staff, and she was describing her dad. And she says, my dad will never retire. He loves his job. He believes in his work. He, he's never going to retire, Bill, so don't, don't ever think that's ever coming. And so it was just interesting to hear, like, th- there is this sense for some of us that we just love what we do. We love being a part of it. But also, we all know that work can be this thing that really uh, drains our soul as well, doesn't it? That, there are, that we all struggle with being lazy and selfish and unmotivated, whether it's schoolwork or parenting or teach, or, you know, whatever it is, whatever our job, our labor, uh, we begin to, to think this. We, we start planning our retirement in our 30s, right? We're just counting down only 8,700 more days until retirement or repurposing, whatever it is. And, of course, and then, you know, your financial planner says, no, it's probably going to be now 9,750 days. And, and so when you feel those days or those seasons of work, you start, man, Adam and Eve, like, why did you guys have to mess everything up and, and sin in the fall? And you brought all this, this curse and this work to us. And in some ways, that's, that's a flawed understanding because what we see from the very beginning of creation is that work is fundamentally good. We see that God himself is a worker. Even in the creation account, we see this unique way in which God is at work, his hands getting dirty, his hands are in the dust. Uh, and, and there's this picture, I love it, there's this picture of God almost as gardener and artist, uh, that God is an inventor as much as he is a, a preacher. And there's this wonderful full picture that all of us kind of get brought into the character of God in our work. But even in his work, he creates us. And in his creation of us as, as humans, he, he calls us to work. Maybe you re- remember this from the creation account, but uh, look at, think of Genesis 1 to be up here on the screen. From the very beginning, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish, work, rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. In chapter 2, he continues this thought, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. It. This is before the fall. And so we see there's this idea that work is good. And so we, we do have the, the, the sense of that with sin coming into the world, that there is this brokenness to work. And so we, we have to think about godly wisdom. How is it that we walk in godly wisdom in our work? How do we honor God with this? And so what I want you to think today is this. We're, we're challenging you all summer to trust in the Lord 
with all your heart, to, to live in his wisdom, to ride the wave of, this, of his wisdom. So, so the big idea today, this one idea that's going to kind of frame everything we're talking about today is not a statement. It's instead a question. It's in question intended to make you wrestle. Uh, wrestle with this question in your heart. And here's the question. Is Jesus the Lord of your work? Is Jesus the Lord of your work? Now, if you are someone who is, tr- who is trusted trusting in the Lord. You are a believer. You're a follower of Jesus. And you've, you've asked him to save you. To follow, you said, I'm your follower. Then what we want to think is, is he then the Lord of your work? If you are not following Jesus yet, uh, think about this in the sense of why you would follow him and what comes out of this. Because in, in essence, what he's saying is, come with me, trust me, walk with me in this. He, he's not saying, just believe so you can go to heaven. He's saying, no, trust me with your life. And so I want you to think about this because it will affect your work. And so you have to think about this if in the office, when you're making decisions, are you trusting in the Lord in those decisions? When you're in school as a student, are you trusting in the Lord and letting him lead you and develop you into, a, into his kind of creation intent for you, his, his calling on your life? If you're working at home, is he the Lord of that? Is he uh, leading you and the way that you develop your home, your family? And so what I want you to do is we're going to look at Proverbs 31, the very end of the Bible. Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31. There's Bibles in front of you, page 660. And so go ahead and turn to that. Now, this is an interesting passage because it's the passage where um, a lot of you, like guys look at this passage and they kind of, uh, this is their, their criteria for the perfect wife, right? So they look at this, and I had, I had one woman, I think she's in her 80s, say, I always read this passage and realized I would never live up to this, this ideal, and I, I felt that always just let my husband down. And so, so guys have this like picture of the, of the perfect wife, and women, you've heard this at like a women's conference, and you're trying to live up to this. We kind of get this picture of, I, I don't know how many of you remember June Cleaver from the old show, Leave it to Beaver. Uh, it's a, you know, this old show, and, and so kind of the picture we get in this day and age is we think of, we think of a, a woman like June Cleaver, right? She's got her, her dress is perfect as she's in the kitchen putting together the perfect meal. She's even got the pearl necklace and her hair, not a hair out of place. And this is the ideal woman. Uh, and so as we read this passage, that's what we always kind of read it as, is how to become the ideal woman. I want, to, I want you to kind of Put that to the side just, just a little bit and, and look at this through the lens of work. Because what you're going to see is of all the things she's commended for, what we, we see is this woman is a warrior. I mean, she, the way she goes about her task, her work, her life, there is so much wisdom in, in how we live this out. In fact, in some ways, what we're seeing is this whole idea in the book of Proverbs is that uh, lady wisdom. Embrace lady wisdom, right? We saw this last week. Make her like your, your sister, your relative. And, and so what we're seeing even today is in this passage, it's, it's like wisdom personified. Here's what wisdom looks like. Look at this woman and the way she lives her life, the way she goes about her business, and you will learn such amazing things. So as we look at her and the example that she sets, uh, let me encourage you just before we look at this whole passage, we'll walk through the passage together. But um, one verse is going to stand out, and it, it really describes everything else that's happening. Just look at verse 30 for a second. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord 
is to be praised. Now, I love this because the, the very end of the book of Proverbs echoes how the very beginning of the book of Proverbs begins. What we saw at the beginning of the summer is if you want wisdom, wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. And now the book ends with the, it's just been echoing all through all 31 chapters. Wisdom comes when you fear the Lord. And to fear the Lord is to have the sense, it means to have the sense of holy awe of God. To, it, it's a little less than terror, but it's a little bit more probably than just being awe. It, it, it's seeing God for how he is set apart from us. It, uh, uh, an unholy fear makes us run from God. We run away from him, but a holy fear draws us into him. We draw close to him. We want to submit to him because we see his goodness. We see that his ways are not our ways. And when the people of God got this, when they had this healthy sense of fearing the Lord, they, they, they brought their lives into submission to God. In essence, they put, they put God in the, on the throne of their lives. And they said, you rule and reign over us. Will you be our God and we will be your people? They trusted him. And so what we see is everything wonderful you're going to see about what she does right, how she lives in wisdom, all flows from this idea of fearing the Lord, of of having the sense of holy awe, of placing God on the throne of her life. And so let's read this passage and we'll learn some some lessons about what it looks like uh, to be a worker who fears the Lord. Starting in verse 10, we read this. A wife or a woman of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Okay, so the first description we see is that she has noble character. It's an interesting word. It's used about uh, over 200 times in the Old Testament. And interesting enough is that most of the time when it's used of men, we, we tra- it gets translated strength or might or power. And, 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 but yet we see it with women, we, we see this interesting way in which it, it uh, is translated noble. But really the picture is... This word means power. It means might. It means that she is, is it, it was a descriptive word of a warrior, as we were saying. She is strong. She is valiant. She is one who fights for her family. And she wins victory for her household. When she goes out into the world and she, she battles and wins. Okay, now notice how she does this. Verse 13, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. And so one of the first descriptions we see, and there's a lot of different things, but we'll we'll limit it to just three things that we can say about her is we see that a, a worker who fears the Lord works harder and smarter, works harder and smarter. And so we see on the one hand, the hard work she is willing to work hard. A, a, a worker who fears the Lord works hard. She gets up early. It's still dark outside. She's willing to make sacrifices for those that she loves. 
She's eager in her work. She's vigorous in her work. And, and in all this, what we see is it's, a, it's an interesting theme that gets built up in the book of Proverbs that there's this contrast, diligence versus laziness. In fact, laziness, uh, often the word that we see is the, it, it's this descriptive word, the sluggard. Okay, so Proverbs 6, 9 to 11 is one of these passages. It says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. So there's this, kind of, there's this message that goes through uh, the Proverbs. Sluggard, get your hand out of the dish. Get, your, get, get up, get going. And part of it is if you, if, if, you, if you hesitate, if you wait, if you stay back, if, you don't, if you're not willing to go after those things that you know you need to go after, you'll miss out. So remember, a bigger theme in the book of Proverbs is that you would learn to master life, that your life would flourish and thrive. It'd be filled with the life of God, the fullness of God. And when we stand back and we hold back and we don't work and we don't go for the things that, that we feel, then, then we have the potential of missing out on the very good things in our life. Poverty and scarcity come over us. I love this picture of, of, of kind of the sluggard of laziness. There was a, a man, and he was uh, in, in the uh, neighborhood where he grew up. And he was driving past his old house. And he was getting really sentimental. And so he got this strange idea. He went up to the house. He knocked on the door. And he said, I know this is a strange request. I grew up here as a kid. Is there any way that you would let me just kind of see the house again? And so he'd lived all these years growing up and into his adult life. He lived in this house. And, and so he, he goes into the house. He kind of walks around. He goes into the attic. And in the attic, there's an old jacket. And he recognizes a jacket from his family. He tries on the jacket. And he reaches in the pocket and he finds a, a ticket. And in the ticket, it's a ticket for shoe repair. And he goes, all right, I'll humor, I'll humor myself. So he goes to the place, uh, the shoe repair store. It's a 20-year-old ticket. He goes to the shoe repairman. He, he kind of laughs. He goes, here you go. And the guy looks at it. He goes, hold on one second. I'll be right back. He goes into the back. He's thinking, what in the world? What am I going to, what is he going to come back with? The guy comes back. He goes, I'll have them for you a week from Thursday. Okay. That's the picture of the sluggard. The sluggard is always saying, I'll have it for you a week from Thursday. That's the picture of this. And so when we, we find ourselves, if, if, if the Lord is going to be on the throne of our lives, he's going to lead our work, then we realize how important the, the Proverbs speak to us about diligence, about working hard. But notice, it's not just about working hard. Working hard also meant working smart, working wisely. She has vision. She has strategy. She's calculating risk and taking them. See, godly workers don't only work hard, they work smart. They work wisely. They, they think, and, and some of you know this, that you can work really hard at the wrong things, can't you? That sometimes the, the enemy of effectiveness is efficiency. That we try really hard to get things done quickly, and we're doing the wrong things. But we see, for her, it's, it's ultimately about effectiveness. It's about being wise in the way that she goes about things. Proverbs 10, verse 4 says this, Lazy hands make for poverty. But diligent hands bring wealth. Okay, again, this contrast that we see all throughout the book of Proverbs. But it's interesting, the more you begin to look at this word lazy, the more you begin to understand it, it, it it's describing a bow, like in a bow and arrow, but the, the string is not tight. 
So what it means is slack. Lazy means slack. And the idea is simply this, that because it's slack, the archer is not able to really control where the arrow goes. The, things are off. The, the accuracy is off. And so we see that one of the things that a wise worker does is work uh, with wisdom. Why do you work with wisdom? So that there's accuracy in what you do. We see how important it is that, that, uh, that you are considering, you're thoughtful of the things that you do. Look at verse 19 as the passage continues. It says, In her hand she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. See, a second thing we see is as she works hard, as she's working with wisdom in, in, and trying to not just work harder but smarter, we also see that, th- that her work is driven that a worker for, that who fears the Lord does good for others. She is not just simply working for herself, but her work is to serve others. Now, it's very interesting we see in verse 19 and verse 20, in, in a lot of wisdom literature, like the Psalms and Proverbs, what you see is what's called parallelism. And in parallelism, it means that one thought is echoed with the next thought, or one verse and the next verse. You'll see really kind of it, it being repeated. And notice the unique way that her hands kind of reach out uh, to her tools of her trade. But in the same way her hands reach out to the tools of her trade, they also reach out to the poor and to the needy. That she sees a purpose that here she is in a manufacturing business, in a clothing industry. And yet, even in that, she sees that her work is to serve and to bless other people. We see a very important concept for the the godly worker, and that is this, that we are blessed to be a blessing. We are called to serve people for the glory of God. This is how it has always been for God's people. Genesis chapter 12, from the very beginning, God said to his people, he said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so we see this unique way that God's people have always been called to not just be blessed, but out of being blessed, go and to be a blessing. And so think about this. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it to serve yourself or is it to serve the one on the throne? Now, here, this, may, this is important that we consider this. See, if Jesus is not on the throne when it comes to work, then something else is or someone else is. So maybe it's wealth is on the throne or power or achievement or living up to someone's expectations for you. Whatever that is, whatever that, that is what you're serving. That is what, why you're working hard. That is what you're going after is whatever is on the throne. So what is on the throne or who is on the throne? And if it's not God, if it's not to bring him glory, then you have to pull back and say, what is on there? Pull it off and make sure you put him back. Now, one of the problems is this. A lot of you will think this. Well, Bill, you do God's work. You do the kind of stuff that blesses people. I'm just a dentist. I'm just a mechanic a carpenter, a teacher, whatever. And I do work in the world. But you do the work that blesses people. And I think that's a kind of a flawed view of what work is. For example, if you had a cavity or you needed a root canal, would you call me to take care of it? I mean, I can. 
I mean, you can't call me up. I'll come over and I'll do my best to, to alleviate the pain uh, from you, right? But, but think about this. Don't you love it when you find a mechanic with integrity? Uh, you don't mind pain for something that needs to be done. Because why? Because it blesses you. It puts you in a safe position. It blesses your family. It blesses your situation. Or aren't you happy when there is someone who comes to do work on your house and you know they didn't cut corners? You know that they were skilled in what they did and the way that they did it was a blessing to you. Rethink the way you see what you do. How can I do what I do to bless people for the glory of God? So I think about it this way. Why, why would you want to be a doctor? I think of our young people maybe pursuing these careers and some of the things maybe we say as parents. Why would you want to be a doctor? So you can drive a Mercedes someday? So you can have a house up on the bluff overlooking everything? Or is it to alleviate suffering? Or why do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to make a lot of money? Do you want to, or, or, or do you want to deal with injustice? Why do you want to be a teacher? Because you want to have summers off? Or because you want to educate, you want to shape minds, shape young minds. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it to serve people to the glory of God? Don't think that somehow my job is just different than yours and how I serve people to the glory of God. But how are you called to serve people to the glory of God? Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, oftentimes I think we just limit this to like, I need to start getting, I need to get a job at the church. I need to work with kids or do something like that. And then I can live this verse out. I don't want to stop you from getting a job with the kids. Go for it. But how can you look at your work and say, Lord, what did you make me to do? Like I had talked with a guy after first service. He's like, I, I, I he was like, thankful. I'm great with my hands. I, I can, I can build things, fix things. And in a sense, he just, it, it was great for him to have a firm, that's how God made me. I'm good at it. And, I, and, and people enjoy me as part of the workforce because what I do blesses people. But I, I always did, I didn't think of that. I tried to go down this different path and chase something else. How can you do the things that God has prepared in advance to do, for you to do? So let me ask you this. Uh, answer this question. Am I pursuing the good works you prepared for me. Ask the Lord this. Am I pursuing the good works you prepared for me? Now, maybe it is you are right where you should be. You have, in essence, kind of found a a path that is, it is you. You're good at what you do. But maybe what you have to have is a subtle tweak to that to say, but from here on out, I want to see this through the lens of, I want to serve people to to your glory. One helpful book, one helpful resource I would give you, probably the book I've handed out the most in the last couple of years is this book called Halftime. And this book is, if you're still kind of a fear, you feel like maybe you're, in a, a, you're stuck. I, I found this to be a, a really helpful book. And it's kind of, think about what halftime is, right? You come into the locker room, you recalibrate, you kind of figure things out before you go out to the second half. And some of you are kind of saying, part of my life, half of my life, whatever. You're in a place in your life and you say, I just feel somewhat stuck. I'm not sure I'm doing what I should do. I'm living out of how God made me. I would encourage you, this is a great resource. I've seen a lot of guys go through this, a lot of people go through this and just get recalibrated for the second half of life. Well, one final thing to see about 
a worker who fears the Lord, and that is this. A worker who fears the Lord displays godly character. In fact, isn't it interesting that really everything in this passage, ultimately, her productivity, her excellence, it all is about her character. Everything is about the type of person she is. What's being celebrated is the type of person she is. In fact, I mean, this is one of the best things, right? You're, you're, you're talking to your kid, and you're, this, what, what a great verse to show at the end. To, so your, your son or your daughter says, you know, I found Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or whatever it is, and you're trying to remind them of something, that beauty fades, okay? So you're trying to say to your, to, to your, your daughter, honey, I know he's super hot, but someday he's going to look like dad, okay? <laughs> right? So does he have character? Does she have character? Is there something about who she is? Is there something about who he is that, that you just, when you see that, that it's that, that, that it factor. The it factor is their character, their heart, and you're, that's what you're drawn to. Isn't this what we ultimately see in this passage? The it factor is her character. What is it about her? It is her character. When it snows, she has no fear for her household. Why? Because she fears only the Lord. For all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in, the fine, in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. Why? She's planned. She's smart. She's wise about how she does things. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. You see this wonderful thing. Her family has huge respect for her. I mean, isn't this something? What you see, her husband is well-respected. Why is he well-respected? Because they look up to her and they respect her. And what we see again is, is things that we know to be true. Character matters in your work. Integrity matters in your work. Thoughtfulness matters in your work. All these indispensable qualities matter. And, and it, it helps us separate one of the most important things we begin to see, that ultimately our identity is not in what we do, but who we are and how God sees us. In fact, I love that there was this moment in Jesus' ministry where the disciples went out doing all these great things for him. In fact, in Luke 10, they were, they were doing miracles and they were showing authority over spiritual things and preaching the gospel, all these things. And they came back to him and they said, Lord, everything you said that would happen would happen. We've had such a successful ministry. And, and he, Jesus says this, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That your identity, your worth to him is not in what you do for him. He, he, it's how he sees you. It is in who you are. 
that what we find is, is that we don't think high of ourselves or low of ourselves based on how our job is going, that somehow our worth is built into our identity in our job, but ultimately see the way that God himself sees us, the Savior of the world sees us. We see the unique way that reputation character flows into the home, right? Some of us struggle with this. We, we work hard, and, but yet when we come home, it, it, it's a steep drop down, who we are, we have a lot of success at work, but we don't have the success at home. We come home tired. We, we're tired. I just want to watch TV. I just want to drink a beer. I just want to, uh, whatever it is. My wife had to say to me, you don't realize this, but every time you walk in the house, you have a phone to your ear. So sit in the driveway, finish your phone call. And when you're done, come in the house. Don't come in the house with that phone attached to your ear. Finish your work and then come be present with us and come, come be in our family. And I, she was right. She was absolutely right. If I want my I want my spouse, my children to think highly of me. I have to have this part of this work life. It then plays into the life at home as well. And so here's, the, here's what we ask you to begin with a question. Is Jesus Lord of your work? Is he Lord of your work? So here's this woman. She said, Lord, you are on the throne. You're the, on the throne of my life. And I want my work to reflect that. What would your work life look like? How would it be reflected if it was Jesus in whom you were, you were serving? That he, in essence, was your true boss. So as you think about working for him, let me give you one final piece of motivation. As you think about working for him, remember first how he worked for you. His disciples wanted to climb the ladder. They wanted to, uh, with him and his kingdom, they wanted positions of authority. They were asking him, and Jesus said this. He called them all together and said, look, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we think about working for him, let your motivation first be this. Remind yourself of how he has come to work for you. The very King of heaven has come. He has laid his crown down. He has come to fight for you to give his life for you, to serve you and not be served. And as he did that very thing and we found life in him, let's put him now in the place he rightly deserves. Let's place him on the throne of our lives. Let's place him as the Lord of our lives. Let's pursue our studies. Let's pursue our work, our repurposing, our home. Let's pursue this through the lens of wisdom in which we fear the Lord. We trust him with all our hearts. And so let me invite you to a prayer. As we pray, think about how you might pray this. Lord, be on the throne of my life. Be the Lord of my work. Be the Lord of my studies. Be the Lord of our home. Be the Lord of my future. Be the Lord of my gifts and abilities and my passions, the, the way you made me. Be the Lord of my life. Today, I'm, I confess, I live for your glory, not mine. 
wrestle with that. Pray through that as God leads you and the things that you know are true of your life right now. For some of you, this is a kind of a stepping off point. Some of you, this is a, a, your, your work and your career, this has been a challenging season. And for some of you, before you work for God, you need to let him work in you. And so if your desire this morning is that he would first work in you, that you would trust him with all your heart, simply tell him today, Lord, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Today I begin following you and I, I, I trust you to save me. I trust you to forgive me of my sins. I trust you to lead my life because I can't do it. And so take a moment, pray, and in just a moment we'll, we'll sing and close the service.